We're in Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to go through verse 25 to the end of the chapter by grace and faith. And so, um, and so we're in the New King James, and I will uh, kind of set the pace here. So let's read together. Let's read. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let us all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God, that it is filled with the spiritual nutrients that we need in our life. We're, we're going to receive it by faith today. Be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as a spiritual teacher. You're anointing the eyes and the heart of each person that's listening, and you're opening them by the gift of your grace and causing them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, thank you that you're speaking to your children individually. They're going to walk away with something that, out of this directly from you that they need. And we thank you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. High five someone on the way down. <clears throat> Look at verse 25. Let's start unpacking our meal this morning. It says, therefore, put away, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In this section of scripture, Paul's going to get very practical. And so in the first three chapters, it was very uh, much a spiritual principles, uh, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and what's happened to us, and what happened in us. But now in the last three chapters, he's going to go horizontal, not vertical, and talk about, therefore, since you have been born again, since you are a new creation, since you are the righteousness of God, since you are that new creation, how should it impact your natural life? Because guess what? When you got born again, you didn't get a private rapture. You were left here because you're left on assignment and so you're to be a witness with your life and with your giftings in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so to be a witness to people around you. And you're left with the relationships that we're to steward. And so we're going to see in chapter 5, we're going to talk about marriage. Chapter 6 is going to be about parenting. It's going to talk about your witness before the world. And so Paul talks about here in chapter 4, he's talking about unity in the body of Christ. He's talking about Christians getting along with Christians. Because when Christians get along with Christians, that's one of the best witnesses to the world is that we were sent because of the unity that we have and the love that we have with one another. Jesus says, they will know that you're of me when you love one another. And so Paul's going to talk in this chapter about unity with one another. And so that, yes, that's even your sandpaper person. You might be sitting next to them. Don't look at right now. That, that, especially if you're married, that's going to be a counseling situation I don't need in this season right now. 
Paul says, therefore, say therefore. therefore. What do you ask yourself when you see the word therefore? therefore? Because you never start a sentence therefore. That means if you're, if you're mentioning therefore, you've said something before. What did he just say? He said that you were all, as a believer, raise your hand if you're a believer, that you were created in Christ Jesus and you were creating according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, so you rose your hand, you've just risen your hand also that you have been created in Christ Jesus according to God in true righteousness and true holiness. And that's who you are in your identity, in your born-again spirit. You are a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. And so when you renew your mind to that, that's going to impact your natural life more than ever trying in willpower under religion to try to change yourself to be righteous. You have to understand when you understand you are righteous, it becomes very easy to live righteous. And so Paul's going to talk about there's some behaviors that belongs to your old man, who you used to be. And those, those are called grave clothes. And so Paul's going to tell them, take off the old grave clothes and put on grace clothes. So you all had grave clothes, but now you have new grace clothes. And so Paul's going to talk about an exchange. But you need to understand that how everything that Paul's going to tell you to stop doing, the devil is the one that, that was modeling that, that was imparting that to us. His nature used to be our nature, but when you got born again, you went out of Adam's family and you got into Christ's family. In a second. You're no longer in the Adam's family. You're in Christ's family. And so, and so now you have a new father, and, and he, he has a different nature than the devil, and we're going to see everything asked from us, God first imparts to us. And if we receive his nature, receive his grace, receive how he is, then we can manifest that. In the new covenant, God never asks from you that he doesn't first deposit within you as a resource to live from. And so it's called grace. And so it says, therefore, putting away lying. Take off the old garment, the old grave clothes of lying that belonged to the old man. Because one thing that, that earmarks your old father... Satan is the father of unbelievers, and he's the father of what? Lies. Lies. He's the father of it. And so what characteristic an unbeliever is, is believing a lie, living lies, and speaking lies. And as a believer, you're now, you're now created in true righteousness and holiness, and you have the nature of the father, which is truth. And so therefore, lying doesn't go along. It's not congruent with your new being not concurrent with your new nature so you need to take off the old gray clothes of lying and so and so let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor every time here paul tells you to lay off the negative he always tells you replace it with the positive see the law was always based on the stop doing the negative but in the grace god exchanges the negative with the positive it says now put on grace clothes put on my nature put on the resource that i give you and then I model for you and, and let yourself manifest that. And so put away lying. And so, so lay aside the filthy garments of insecurity. You know, everything in here really that Paul's going to say belong to your old nature has to do with insecurity. Insecure, you know, why do people lie? Because they're insecure. And they're trying to protect themselves by lying. 
and because they, they, they know they're not who they ought to be, so they act like they're someone they're not, and so they lie. And so the more secure you are in who you are in Christ, the more you don't have to lie. And so, so uh, people lie so they don't look bad to others. Why do, why do people lie? Well, basically, I don't want you to see the real me. And so I put on the best face for you to see. People lie to avoid negative consequences. People lie to gain something they want. So those are the three reasons why people lie. First of all, they don't want to look bad to others. They want to avoid negative consequences. And people lie to gain something they want. Now, guess what? One thing about lying is it's highly inefficient <laughs> to accomplish the ends that you're looking at. Because when you're found out lying, you look worse than you were to start with. And, and when you lie to avoid negative consequences, lies have a way of finding itself out. And you get worse consequences. And by lying, you, you never truly get what you're wanting by lying. So, so what's a lie? A lie? A lie is saying something that leaves the impression on another person that's not accurate. So what's a lie? Well, let me tell you what's included in lying. Half-truths. What's a half-truth? Half-truth is to say a truth, but knowing that that truth you're speaking is leaving the other person with an impression that's not accurate. For instance, you write a paper for school, and the teacher questions if you're the author of it, and said, did you write this? Well, yeah, I wrote all of it. Yeah, you physically wrote out by hand the entire thing. That's true. I spoke truth. But what, what, are you impl- what are you leaving, what impression are you leaving them with? That you're the author of it. And so half-truths, tell someone half-truths are, is lying. <laughs> Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. I want you to see in verse 21, Paul said the truth is in Jesus. Verse 24, he said, you were created in true righteousness and holiness. Now verse 24 says, now speak truth. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus is in you. Now you were created in truth, true righteousness and holiness. Now as a manifestation, speak truth with your neighbor. The question is, is... uh, Who's your neighbor? Um, there was a guy asked Jesus that day, one day. Jesus said, love your neighbor as, as you love yourself. And, and the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gave a parable called the Good Samaritan. And, and, and you had the, the, law, the priest and the Levites, they, they walked around the guy that was beaten up and and stripped, and, and it said that the Samaritan came and poured in the oil and the wine, took care of him. And Jesus asked this question, who was the neighbor to this man? And he says, well, the one who showed mercy. See, Jesus turned it totally around. He didn't say, who's my neighbor? He says, you're the neighbor. Who was neighbor to that person? And so you're the neighbor. And so if you are a neighbor, whoever you meet, is a neighbor. Think on these things. 
And so everyone around you is your neighbor. But I want you to see something. We are to speak truth because our Heavenly Father speaks truth. And the more you receive Him speaking His truth to you, that's when you'll start speaking the truth. So again, you'll never ask from, God will never ask from you that He doesn't constantly supply to you. And so the Father's constantly speaking truth to you. That's his nature. And now you can turn around and speak truth with your neighbors. For we are members one of another. Do you know when you lie to another believer, you're basically lying to yourself? You're hurting yourself? How do you like to stomp on your foot? Oh! That's stupid. But whenever you hurt your brother or sister, it's like stomping on your own foot. Tell someone, stop it. (laughs) Some good counseling right there. Just stop it. Look at verse 26. Be angry. Well, being angry is sin. Well, then Jesus sinned. Because he was angry. Was he, was he in a good mood when he was throwing tables everywhere in the temple? He wasn't angry then, was he? And God the Father seen throughout the Bible as, as being angry. So being angry is not sin. And so this word angry, anger comes from a Greek word which means a settled anger that's not explosive. You can be angry and not sin. God the Father and Jesus are seen as angry in the scriptures at various times, and we know they had not sinned. You can have righteous indignation towards injustice and it not be sin. I think it's good to have some righteous indignation about what's happening in our nation, Amen. what the enemy's doing to our generation, especially our young people. We should have anger, righteous indignation towards that. But you can even have anger at another person with a cause. Well, Jesus says, well, if you're angry with a person in your heart, you committed murder. Hold on a second. Let's make sure we're reading the Bible correctly. Let's read Matthew 5.22 and make sure we're reading all of it correctly. It says, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And so here it says you can have anger with another person with a cause and it not be sin. Now, where does it become sin? It's when you, you uh, choose to punish another person and you take the role of God and only he is the role of judge. And he's the, and he's the one who executes judgment. But where do we get off? When we, we take the role of judge... And we become executioner. I'm going to execute punishment. I'm going to execute vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so it's wrong for you. So is it right to have righteous indignation against abortion? Is it right to blow up the, the, uh, the abortion clinic? If you have a question, no. That's not right. Killing the doctors and nurses, that's not right. That's when you went over into sin, and you become the judge and the executioner. And so uh, I think it's important when you're angry, what do you do with that anger? I think it's important that you go to God with that 
and oftentimes ask, what's the source of it? Is it, is it wounded pride? Is it self? Or is this the anger that comes from righteousness? Oftentimes it comes from self, from our own pride. Now, when you're angry, it's very important. I'm, I need, take this down, this note. It's very, very important. When you're angry, do not act. Do not send that email. <laughs> do not send that text. It's so easy to text. It's so easy to give a piece of your mind that's so richly deserved. But there's a problem when you give a piece of your mind, they have a piece to give back. And then before long, you don't have any mind left to give. <laughs> Do not have that conversation when you're angry. Go to God and, and, br and bring it and let him calm you down. And so go to prayer and calm down first. We, we sin when we seek to take the Lord's place as judge and executioner. I'm speaking to someone in this room that you have taken upon yourself to deal out the punishment. It's not your place. And, and it won't end well. When you go into place God should operate in, you make it worse. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Have you ever heard the phrase, do not go to bed angry? Do we practice that? Well, as a man testified, he and his wife had been married 50 years. He said that the secret to that marriage was that they never went to bed without settling any differences between them. He did concede that there have been many times when he went 10 days without sleep. <laughs> What's this verse saying? is deal with anger quickly. That's really what it's saying. Deal with your anger quickly because anger can take root and become bitterness. And so anger must be dealt with quickly or it'll cause the root of bitterness to set in and defile many. And so look at verse 27. When you don't deal with anger quickly, what happens? Don't give place to the devil. Raise your hand if you believe there's a devil. Most of you, that's good. There is a devil, and he's your enemy, and it says don't give place to him. Look at the word place. It means, it's the Greek word topos, where we get the word topography. It means don't give topography, don't give ground to the devil. Because guess what? Jesus took all his ground, and the only way he can have place in the earth is if you give it to them, if you give it to him. Don't give the devil any space, any spot, any place on this earth. Unfortunately, why is the devil so effective today? Because he's taking a lot of ground. And who's to blame? The church of Jesus Christ. Not the wicked, all those wicked unbelievers, those, those libs. Hold on. Who abdicated the authority in the earth? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan works through the heart of the person who cherishes anger. Let me say this again. Satan works through the, that heart that cherishes anger. We give ground to the devil when we have undealt anger. Why? Because we become very susceptible to receiving lies 
when we're angry. We're very susceptible to believe accusations of other people when we're angry. And so, so what is the devil? He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to constantly accuse other people to your mind and you'd accept the accusations. He tries to accuse you if you accept it, but he, he wants to accuse other people. You need to buy into it. And when you're angry, you are very susceptible to his lies and to his accusations. Stop. And actually, you know what the Greek says here? The Greek says, stop giving place to the devil. It's happening. It's happening. And Paul says, stop it. Stop giving place to the devil in your relationships. Look at the word devil. It comes from diablos. Dia means through. The other word, balas, means to throw. It means to throw through to cause division. So, so what the devil does is he'll throw accusation to cause division. That's the goal. That's the nature of the devil's division. He likes to divide. So the devil tries to accuse to separate people from God like he did Eve. The devil tries to accuse to separate people from other people like Cain and Abel. And so we need to resist the devil, the accuser. And so we, we, need, to, so we need to deal with our anger. Undealt with anger always leads to division. Let me say that again. Undealt with anger always leads to division and separation. Undealt with. What, what's at the root of divorce? Undealt with anger. Undealt with. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands with that which is good, that he may have something to give who has need. Paul says, let him who stole steal no longer. Look at the word stole. It's the Greek word klepto. Is there an English word we get from that? <laughs> kleptomaniac. What's a kleptomaniac? Well, they, they find themselves, their fingers to start doing... They, they take things. It, it may not be things of large, but they just have a propensity that wherever they are, they just take things. And, and we're not to do that. And Paul says, let him who stole try not to steal as much. <laughs> the, those that, that steal, let them try to cut down on their stealing. What does he say? Steal no longer. The woman caught with... In adultery, she said, now try, the Lord says, I don't condemn you, try to commit a little less adultery tomorrow. <laughs> now we need to take off, why, why does someone steal is, is they refuse to work and are not earning a wage, and so they take from others. And, and so we're, we're not to steal. Take off the old gray clothes and and. And so, remember, it says, whatever he says don't do, he always replaces it with the positive. So it says, he that steals should steal no longer, but let him labor. Say labor. labor. Working with his hands that which is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. If you refuse to work, you're stealing. Why? Because you, you, you're getting money somewhere. 
even from the government. You know, there's a lot of people, and it's amazed to me that I see uh, cars all around homes, you know, at different times when I'm traveling in between work, going places to visit people. But it's amazing how many people are home. Well, there's a lot of people working from home, but there's a lot of people not working. And they're, and they're living off the government, and they could work, they just choose not. Well, I can get more money through the government than I can my own work, so I'll just do that. If you refuse to work you're, and not earning a wage, then you're taking from others. You're taking from me. You're taking from other people that are working. Now, if you're looking for a job, let's put our faith out for you. Is there anybody in this room that you're wanting to work, but you're you just having difficulty finding that job, finding a job. Is anybody in this room could say I'm in that situation? And Okay, so, okay, so stretch out your hands. Father, I thank you for those that are in this room. I thank you for open doors. Yes. And, and that their application is going to go to the right person to the right time. They're going to find favor. And it's going to be in the area of their calling and gifting. And I thank you, Father, that... Even now, your grace and angels are being released for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul says, working with your hands that which is what? Good. Proverbs 14.23. Pop it up, please. In how much labor? In all labor, there is profit. He didn't say... Get, make sure you have a job that's paying $100,000. He says, labor with your hands that which is good. Sometimes you need to start at a lower level and the Lord needs to promote you. Guys, the only time you start in the top of any field is when you're digging a hole. If you'll put your hands to something, if, if the dream job doesn't open... Then start somewhere where there's an open door and start working with it and God will promote you. Well, the only thing I have that opened up is at the burger joint, flipping burgers. Well, if you're faithful, before long, you can be running the burger joint. Working with your hands, that which is good. Now, now let's, let's say this. Working at the casino. Working with the marijuana dispensary. Working with your hands, that which is good. Let's, let's qualify that. That he may have something to give. Instead of stealing, you ought to be giving. See, the law says stop stealing. God says, grace is I'm going to bless you so much that you can be giving. Because you can only give based on when your needs are met. And you have an abundance. That's Grace. So, so tap into the grace of God. Take off the grave clothes, put on the grace clothes, and he's going to empower you and profit you so much that your needs are met and that you are giving. Your job is not so much to make a living. Your job is to make a giving. Your job isn't to meet your need. Your job is to get seed. God wants to do a lot more than just meeting needs. Well, pastor, I cannot find a paying job. Start volunteering somewhere. I've heard stories where they couldn't get, someone could not get a job in their industry. And so they went to the company they wanted most and said, I'll just volunteer. 
sure. So they started volunteering, and they were so valuable, they hired them within a week. So, so if you can't find anything, start doing something. Bless somebody. Start volunteering somewhere. Jesus taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's Acts 20, verse 35. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but which is good for necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word. Look at the word corrupt. It means rotten, putrefied, foul. Let no foul word come out of your mouth. The language we used before we were saved was a, is a dead language of the old man. You know, Latin is a dead language. Then why are we having our kids learn it? Anyway, I'm sorry. If you love Latin, that's good. Hominus, dominus. The language we used before we were saved was a dead language of the old man. We have a new language, a new vocabulary that belongs to the new man. It's a language filled with grace, faith, love, and peace. Because guess what? God's words that proceed out of his mouth are filled with grace. And they are for our edification. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that, we, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So who's our number one example? The Father. He's constantly proceeding, and you'll spend time in his word. His grace will, will be imparted to you and edify you. And so out of that, you're to edify people with your words. In the natural, do you know fresh and salt water does not come out of the same space, same hole? James 3.12 says that. No, no fountain gives both fresh and salt water at the same time. But as a Christian, you have an ability out of your same hole, same fountain, to, breathe, to have bitter water and fresh water. One comes out of your spirit and the other comes out of your flesh. And so... Let, let, let's, the only thing that we should be having coming out of our mouth is spirit. What's coming out of our spirit, man. And so, but, we, but what is good and necessary for edification. And, and so the law says stop talking evil. God says replace it with grace-filled words from me. From your time in the word. Let that be filling your heart. What's good for necessary for edification? Do you know how you need to, how you can allow your tongue to start edifying instead of tearing down? Where's a good place to start? Praying in tongues. That's giving the Holy Spirit your tongue early in the morning. Pray in tongues in the morning. Give your tongue over because guess what happens? When you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. Words good enough to edify others. You can't edify others unless you're edified. Edify yourself, and then out of the overflow, you edify other people. Are we praying in tongues like we can throughout our day? That it may impart grace to the hearers. Impartation is a work of the Holy Spirit. As we speak from our heart filled with the Word and filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will impart grace to those who hear us. And so th this is not just unmerited favor, but his strength, his power, and ability. He can impart that to other people. You know, you can impart strength and courage through your words. 
You can discourage people through your words. Do you, are you a encourager or a discourager? Well, pastor, I don't know. Well, do people walk away from you when you approach them? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Do, do people quickly find a reason to exit out of conversations with you? I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you's like this. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Actually, the Greek says stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieve is the Greek word which means to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness. And this Greek word means, it's a relational word. It really means do not hurt the heart of the one who loves you. Do not hurt the heart of the one who loves you so deeply. This is a marriage word. Do not hurt that partner that you love and that loves you. Do, do not grieve them or hurt them. The Holy Spirit dwells within your spirit. He loves you 100% of the time. So the Holy Spirit dwells and, he, and he's, he's happy in your spirit. But is he comfortable and joyful in your soul? Can he venture out into the living space of your soul and still be as comfortable as is in your spirit? The Holy Spirit, in some Christian soul, he's uncomfortable due to a life inconsistent and unresponsive to him. Let me tell you where the Holy Spirit's the most uncomfortable. In a self-righteous, legalistic Christian that's judging people speaking evil about other people, tearing people down, the Holy Spirit, it grieves him. And at the root of what grieves the Holy Spirit is unbelief. By whom the Holy Spirit you were sealed for the day of redemption. Raise your hand if you're born again. You've been sealed in your spirit for the day of redemption. You've been vacuum packed and stamped as his. So this Greek word means to stamp as being owned by, a, by an individual. And it's also to protect. So your spirit's been stamped. God, the devil can see your spirit and know you belong to God. You have the seal of God on your spirit. But you also are protected from any sin or contamination that gets in your spirit. Your soul can sin, your body will sin. But as a Christian, it does not defile your spirit. That's who you really are. And you're sealed into the day of what? redemption and and so our redemption is threefold our spirit's been redeemed our soul is being redeemed by renewing of our mind but one day our body will be fully redeemed and we're going to get a glorified body just like Jesus's glorified body to where we can walk through walls move at the speed of thought so tell someone this is not as good as it gets You've been sealed unto the day of redemption by the, by the what spirit? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Verse 31. Here, here's some grave clothes that need to be stripped off of us. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, 
clamor, evil speaking. Let it be put away from you with all malice. What, what's the number thing? Bitterness. There's all kinds of bitterness. There's different forms of bitterness. There's bitterness towards God. You know, there's a lot of people bitter at God. And, and you can be bitter at, uh, towards another person. Let me say this. Bitterness is the acid that corrodes the vessel it abides in. Bitterness is the acid that corrodes the vessel it abides in. And there's a lot of people filled with bitterness on the inside of them, towards God, towards other people. These are the people that do not understand God's love for them, don't actively receive God's love and acceptance. Bitterness has a way of spreading to other people. Look at Hebrews 12, 15. Bitterness will spread. Well, I'm content. I'm just content being bitter. No, no. It spreads. Hebrews 12, 15. Look carefully, lest anyone. See, this happened to anyone. Well, I'm beyond getting bitter. I'm, I'm above that. No. Be careful, anybody. You might not be bitter now, but you might have an opportunity tomorrow. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. You're not tapping into his acceptance, his love. You're not spending time with him. You're kind of drifting away from your time with the Lord and receiving from him. What can happen? Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause you trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Do you know when you have audience and other, you can't help it, you'll talk about it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth spews on other people. You tell people about that person and what they've done, and guess what happens? They get a borrowed offense. What's a borrowed offense? You get offended at what someone else is offended at. That's stupid. There are, there, there's someone in this room, you've become bitter from someone else's bitterness. And the Lord's saying, you need to wake up and reject that. Sorry that's happened to them, but that doesn't mean that needs to get in your heart. Are we having fun? See, we don't like, we don't, we're not as excited about the horizontal than the vertical. Wrath, put off wrath. That, that means uh, thumos, which means uh, an explosion of anger. Someone said, well, I, yeah, I explode, but I get it over quick. Well, so does the hand grenade. Yeah. It blows up quick and it's over, but a lot of collateral damage. Put it off. That's not in your nature. That's, is God explosive towards you? He just explode towards you in, in a fit of anger and wrath. No, he's never, never that way. Put off anger. That means anger exhibited in punishing someone else. Is God punishing you? Is God punishing you? No. no, then why are you doing it? Anger, wrath, anger, clamor. I love this. This means screaming and shouting at people. Your homes, Christians, should not be filled with shouting. Yes. 
and screaming and yelling. You're not receiving God's love and grace personally for you. And evil speaking be put away from you. The Greek word for evil speaking is blasphemia. Where English word do we get from blasphemia? Blaspheme. blaspheme. <laughs> to blaspheme, well, well, I would never blaspheme God, but will you blaspheme the one that's created in his image? What's blaspheming? Blaspheming means to speak evil of. This includes gossip. This includes speaking negatively about others. Well, I speak about others. I never say it to their face. <laughs> they never know about it. But it fills the atmosphere in which you must breathe. You should not say things about someone that you would not say to that someone. See, God has nothing good to say, nothing, she has nothing but good to say about you. You know, God the Father and Jesus talk about you, and the Holy Spirit, they talk about you, but they don't talk about your back negatively. Do you see what Sally did there? You see what they did yesterday? The Father only speaks good over you and a good about you see again it all comes back to what you're receiving from God is what you put out exchange the grave clothes for his grace clothes with all malice that means all kinds of bad verse 32 you've been waiting for it. it's the last verse your Caboose has come. Instead, so he gave a lot of grave clothes were to strip off. It's not congruent with our new nature. But now he says, exchange them with grace clothes, with the clothes that the father wears, that the father's given to you as royalty, as his son and daughter, that you're to clothe yourself with himself. Be kind to one another. Because guess what? God is always kind to you is it because your behavior always deserves it I know you're sweet <laughs> but he's but be, be kind to one another people that cannot be kind to others do not receive God's kindness to them you think God's harsh that's why you don't want to spend time in his presence because he, he just picks you apart like your dad did your mother did and people around you and you think he's just like that but no no you need to get to know your father because he has nothing but kindness to you tender hearted I love this Greek word it literally means to have strong and healthy bowels <laughs> literal Greek splanknon guts entrails the ancient world believed that the seat of emotion was in the inward bowels within the human body. Healthy bowels are unobstructed bowels. 
But we know the seat of what they're talking about is our heart. You know, our hearts can become clogged with bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. You need a bowel cleanse with the love of God and the grace of God for you. Forgiving one another. Well, I know, forgive them. Did you see what they did? Yeah, but did you see what Jesus did? When he died on the cross for that sin. When he bled his life blood out for that sin. It's so easy to receive forgiveness for our sins. And hold other people's sins to them guilty. Forgiving one another. Well, pastor, I, I can't seem to be able to forgive that person. Yeah, because you haven't received forgiveness. An unforgiving heart is not a forgiven heart. Is that over here? An unforgiving heart is not a forgiven heart. They've received God's forgiveness for you. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ has already forgiven you. How forgiven? Completely. And when you receive that, that love, that acceptance beyond understanding, it's so much easier to forgive and release other people to the cross. So is there somebody you have not forgiven? Well, don't try in your willpower to forgive. Go vertical and say, Father, I receive your forgiveness. I accept your blood was shed for me and that you love me. And I receive your forgiveness. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to say this, Father, I know your son died on the cross for me. He poured his blood out for me. He paid the full punishment for every one of my sins. Even the ones I've been feeling guilty and ashamed about. He paid for it fully. He suffered for it fully. He died in my place. I receive your forgiveness. I accept it right now. And I believe I'm forgiven. And I thank you for forgiving me. Now forgive from the grace that you just received. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for grace clothes to exchange the grave clothes. You don't just tell us get rid of the grave clothes and try to be better. No, you exchange it with yourself and your grace and your word and, and what you've done for us at the cross. And so we can put grace clothes on and in replacing these other things that are really insecure, clothes of insecurity. We don't really know who we are. We're not secure in our, in our identity. We're barring the identity of a dead man. But Lord, help us understand our new identity and the security that comes with that. And clothe ourselves with Christ, our grace clothes. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.